All right. Well. 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 2024, isn't it? That that it is. Last I checked. It's no getting around that. <laughs> Literally nothing different. You don't feel you know a whole whole lot has changed just because a number went up. Not really. Not really. They're still making video games, so that's something. They haven't, uh, yeah, they haven't put this, they haven't put this show out of out of commission yet. So it's still raining. That's one thing they said would stop. Did oh, they? It, they should have said something before yesterday and done something about it. It poured here. Yeah, yeah, it was raining here earlier today. Very, very wet here yesterday. I'm glad about that, though. I like the rain. Yeah, I do yeah. too. Although I'm not, I'm, I don't. I don't, heavy rain, I'm not that into. David Cage can kiss my ass. But, <laughs> uh, but no, truly, I, I love... One of the best things about living in the Pacific Northwest was that it rained all the fucking time. But it mm. wasn't thick, heavy rain like we get on the East Coast. It's this sort of misty thing that's just always there. And it's really nice. Yeah, I love the rain. I've talked about this before because I used to tell people that I like the rain, and they would always go, oh, you're miserable. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, she's miserable. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just have a preference for a different type of weather than you. Rain is not inherently sad. Like, you may have, have ascribed that to it, but, you know, there's a reason why rain sounds are very popular thing to fall asleep to. I use them myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something very calming about that, that feeling the sound of it and just the general atmosphere of it it's always pissed me off when people think that if you like weather that they find depressing that means you are a depressing person i blame garbage this is shirley manson's fault entirely (laughs) well what isn't (laughs) let's let's be honest (laughs) let's get it all out in the open now garbage i'm just glad that our audience is almost certainly of an age because our audience stopped growing a long long time ago and so they only get older that half or more of them will get that reference that's the nice thing about getting old and becoming less uh relevant that is true especially being in wrestling and Mm -hmm. just having a lot of queer friends i end up around like 20 year olds more often than i want to yeah and there's one guy, a friend of mine in wrestling called Mark, who um, he's uh, Mark Adams is a ring announcer, commentator. He's older than me. He's one of the very, very few people in wrestling who is a bit older than I am. So, like, I throw all of my references and my great thoughts at him because no one else will get it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll strike up a conversation about Treyguard from Nightmare and no one will know what I'm talking about. I'll echo a mutual friend, friend of the show, Echo, the other day told me that Bottom was obscure. <laughs> I may have even mentioned that last week. I'm, I'm still horrified about that. No, you mentioned it on on the Trash Girl Diaries. On the Trash Girl Diaries, yes. Another fine podcast on this feed, if you're not Indeed, listening. Indeed, that went up yesterday. By the time this went up, because I've um, literally, I'm just staring at the um, click to save right now. But yes. Bottom is now obscure, uh, and, and no one gets my great references. Oh, yeah! I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, Shrek: Happily Ever After, or Shrek Ever—I don't know—the last Shrek movie that they made. 
What do you mean mm. the last Shrek movie? Wasn't it Shrek 2? No, there, no, there's four of them. No. Four mainline Shrek films and shit. then, like, spin-off shit. Yeah. But one of the hosts, who is a comedian that I adore, I, I think she's just so incredibly funny, Jamie Loftus, said that she had seen Shrek 4, which came out in 2010, on a date in high school. And I would like to promise our listeners, you will never hear anything that horrifying ever on this show. <laughs> Not <sighs> once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone who's super talented is younger than me, and I hate it. I, I try not to. There, there was a point <laughs> where, like, whether it was true or not, because growing up, you see adults on TV a lot, and it reaches a point where even when you're an adult, you still see adults on TV as older than you. Yes. I don't know what the exact date was, but that's no longer true. <laughs> I no longer see people on TV as automatically older than me. I think it was, it, it had to have been during an episode of like Monday Night Raw when I'm looking mm. at these like, you know, 20 something wrestlers in their, their physical prime while I'm there eating yeah. fucking nice and spicy knickknacks out of the bag. Yeah, I no longer look at, at people on TV as adults as compared to me. A lot of them are babies as compared to me. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at them thinking, you stupid young fool. You've got no idea what waits for you. Yeah. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> it seems like life is a long series of looking at people five to ten years your junior and thinking, ha, you think that shit matters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what does matter, though? What is that? Laura? It's video games. That's right. I, I think what? that's where we're going with this. Yeah. What? <laughs> video games apparently matter, no, no, according no, to Conrad. No, no, no. Yeah, like, look, look. I'm all for, I'm, I'm all for an elegant moving on. An elegant segue, an elegant, like, like, just getting from one subject to the next in a classy, some would say witty way. However, I... I will not allow, even for the sake of of, of uh, eloquence and presentation, mistruths to ferment <laughs> of that level. Within the context of this show, it is because this won't end until we talk about them, and you know that. Filibuster. That's, <laughs> you've left me no choice. <laughs> right. Welcome to the longest episode of Pugquisition to ever exist, <laughs> I suppose. I hope none of you had anything else to do today. Right? Where are we? <laughs> right. Well, we're at the bit where we're going to talk about video games. That's where we're at. Yeah. Limp so. the body of Gorister hung from the pink pallet unsupported, hanging high above <laughs> us in the computer chamber, and it did not shiver in the chill, oily breeze that blew eternally through the main cavern. The body hung head down. I've gone on long enough to make the point. Right. Carry on. Video games. I played some of those this week. Oh, I'm yeah? gonna, I'm gonna force us over there. Do I it. played some stuff this week, and I've got one I, I want to talk about because I was surprised at how how good it was uh, for for a thing I didn't expect to be that much. Did either of you know there is a free epilogue DLC to God of War Ragnarok that came out this week? No, I 
Uh, they, I, I knew about like some. Didn't they do some roguelite thing? Yeah. So this is what it is. Oh, oh is it, it, it okay. might have come out. Of, it might have come out of a week, a, a little bit ago. But I, I, I played it. I played it this week. God of War Ragnarok has a roguelike epilogue DLC called Valhalla, mm-hmm. and as you say, it's a roguelike mode. And I wasn't expecting a lot of that from that, but I was surprised at how much of like an actual proper narrative addition to this game this is. I've heard um, good things about it. Yeah, so before getting into the mechanics of it, I, I it took me about eight hours to see like the, the main story thread through, but it seems like there is still more plot to be exploring, and the plot that is there genuinely feels like a, a major addition to that narrative that is a really nice closing point for Kratos. Um, I've I've seen rumors floating around that like this is this is the last Kratos God of War, and that we're moving on to his kid in in future ones probably. And having played this roguelite mode, yeah, I get the feeling that probably is the case. They're they're very much sort of setting that up. But this roguelike mode is just a re- narratively, it is a really nice exploration of the old God of War games. The ones prior to Dad of Boy, mm-hmm. uh, the the you know the the ones where it's like angry, angry God does a lot of killing, occasionally regrets it, goes on to kill some more because he's angry. It's basically an excuse to kind of re-examine some of that stuff through the new version of Kratos and to reconcile how both of those versions of the characters can be, and what you have to sort of. What Kratos has to process to be who he is now, while also not ignoring who he was. And that is, like, a really nice thing to explore through going and doing a bunch of roguelike content. Um, I bet Dave Jaffe's pissed. Yeah. I bet David Jaffe's really (laughs) fucking pissed. Could you imagine all these years later and how things have changed and how... His style of doing things is is perhaps no longer desired. And then to have the development team that followed you come along and decide to reassess everything that you've done when you're already a sensitive yeah. little man child. That's <laughs> gotta be that's yeah. really gotta sting. It really is. Hey, what if we took a breather and, like, examined some nuance in in Jaffe's work that, like, no one saw when it was Jaffe making the work. Wow. And that's, like, a genuinely really fascinating way to, like, end Kratos' narrative. But mechanically, there's a lot of things I I quite like about this. Because, like, God of War, um, you know, the reboot and Ragnarok, very satisfying core gameplay loop. But what I like about this roguelike mode is it does a lot to really heavily incentivize changing up what loadout you pick. You know how in something like Hades you have that book in the bedroom that's like, hey, you do this challenge, you get these rewards. This has a system like that, but most of the rewards are centered around pick up every single unique light attack for this weapon during during all of your runs. Pick all of these kinds of upgrades. It It's trying to encourage you, like, with very, very big amounts of permanent between-runs resources to be very varied in what you pick. The other thing I like about how it works, there's a few things that you pick as, like, your starting build. You pick, like, a, a glyph that's going to do certain abilities. You pick a shield. You pick what your Spartan Rage type is going to be. 
But every run, one of those will be highlighted in a sort of shimmering gold, and it'll be like, you don't have to use it, but if you use this one during this run, we'll give you a bunch of additional rewards during the run to help make the run easier. Again, just sort of encouraging you to not just stick with one thing. I like that every run, you have all three of your major weapons that you had at the end of God of War Ragnarok. Getting the core basic weapon isn't something you have to hope for a random chance with. You've got your blades on chains, your your axe, your spear. All of the upgrades are sort of on top of that. So at the very least, if you're just like, I just like using the spear and I really don't want to use anything else, for example, you're always going to have that available to you at the start of the run. And it does seem to slightly skew the upgrades it offers you based on the things you're using most. Like, if you are primarily using one weapon type, it does seem to offer you upgrades for that weapon type before it offers you other upgrades, which I like. My biggest issue with it, and it's a minor thing, but it's it's an annoying little nitpick, is, you know, in something like Hades, you'll complete a room and there'll be a couple of doors that choose what kind of upgrade you get next, and they just have a very clear picture of the thing you will pick up in the next room. This doesn't do that. You have your branching path, you pick your doors, the doors will sort of clue you in on what upgrade's going to be behind them, but each of these doors has like an abstract rune that doesn't at a glance tell you what the upgrade behind it is, which meant I did a lot of pause, click L3, check the glossary, scroll down, find the image, oh that's what that door means. And that was a pretty regular recurrence that was not a huge issue, but it just kind of slowed me down. And it's the kind of thing where I I wanted to be able to stand pretty close to a door, but not click on it and just have it give me a pop-up that's like, that rune means this. That little bit of extra quality of life was like my biggest issue with it. But I like that there is a good amount of new gameplay tools available in this roguelike mode that weren't in the base game. I like that there is new environments and enemy types that were not in the basic game, and I like that there is a lot of lovingly remade content from other God of Wars that kind of filters in a little bit. I've put maybe eight hours into seeing it through the first time and seeing, like, the main thrust of the narrative done, but they have a good justification for keeping it going after that and for making that make sense narratively. It's a good little story addendum for Kratos and a good fun roguelike mode. The runs are not too lengthy. I was spending maybe 20 to 30 minutes in a run and it's pretty quick to get back in. There's a good variety of ways you can permanently upgrade your character between runs, between things like basic stat upgrades or more big picture changes to the way your character works that are quite nice. Yeah, if you're someone who's finished Ragnarok, this is like a substantial chunk of free content that doesn't feel bolted on, it doesn't feel superfluous, it doesn't feel like they were just looking for an excuse to stick another mode in. It feels made with the same kind of purpose as the rest of the game. It's really good. I've I've been having a good time with it. I want to go back into it even though I've finished the narrative of it. It is a lot of fun. I'm glad to hear it. I had heard about it, I hadn't got round to it, like looking into it, but I really fucking liked Ragnarok. Yeah, if you want just an excuse to be playing more Ragnarok with like a good amount of narrative that a lot of the narrative is happening like while you are picking upgrades and like you can go into shop menus and things and the narrative keeps happening and like doesn't make that pause while you pick your options. Like it doesn't slow you down to do the narrative, but there is like eight hours of additional narrative just happening while you have cool fights. And that's very good. Yeah. What about you both? Either of you played anything this week? I've been playing a, a few 
gambling related games this week i guess there's a bit of a the theme through some of these one of them i just sort of happened upon last night on steam steam has a sale celebrating capitalism right now um, does it it does oh Sorry, I've just opened Steam, and you're right. Steam's capitalism and economy fest. Yeah, yeah, they're you know, yeah. It's 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 all biz sims and things like that. And I was going through that list, and I didn't see anything that was particularly appealing. And then this popped up, and I don't think this is part of the sale. I think it just happened to come out recently and came up in like a uh, algorithmically pushed list of games. I'm going to say right off the top, this is the sort of game that I would have looked at and I would have said, based on the description of the mechanics, I would not have played it. Because the description of the mechanics involves slot machines and deck building. And those are (laughs) two words, two expressions, two facets of video games that I'm like, I really don't want anything to do with that. Um, But then you stick a couple of other elements on, like roguelite okay well now i'm curious and then the title which is luck be a landlord i say the premise of the game is that you have moved into a new apartment building the apartment building has a slot machine built into it and you are given one coin (laughs) and you get an a certain number of spins to have the slot machine produce a minimum amount of money to pay your rent (laughs) and every time you pay your rent your rent goes up and so the way this works you have a slot machine that has five reels with four rows so 20 total possible options and you spin it and every icon that comes up has the potential to award you coins that you can then use for more rolls and ultimately your rent but they all interact with each other in interesting clever ways there are animal types that will eat certain types of food types and when they're eaten they provide a huge quantity of coins you there's a dog and a dog will be friendly with any human character icon in the game (laughs) so any dog that's next to a person scores more points the people all produce things or interact with things and so you're constantly adding to this pool of items that gets drawn from to put together these random combinations that create score and so they fall into categories and you refine it as you go along and it gets really entertaining and it has that dopamine hit that a slot machine gives because you're you're always winning you're you win every spin it's just a question of are you winning enough to keep going is the deck building how you're building what shows up on the slot machine that's it exactly yes <gasps> that so, is very cool sounding after every spin you get a selection of three icons to add to your pool and then after every time you pay rent in addition to getting a symbol in your pool you also get an item that will broadly affect certain types of symbols or provide different benefits uh, for every spin, things like that, that are sort of top-level rules that you'll then try to reshape your pool to take the better advantage of. It is fast. It's 12 rounds. You pay rent 12 times to complete a run. 
And every time you complete a run, your landlord retreats to a higher floor in the building. <laughs> and each floor that you go up has an increasing number of modifiers to the base play, increasing rent, reducing the number of items that you get to remove things from your pool, reducing the number of rerolls that you get for symbol selection. It is an incredibly simple, refined roguelite experience that takes 15 minutes to play a run of, regardless of how long you go. Um, there is an endless mode available if you complete a run. You can keep going if you've just been having a great go and it'll continue to increment. But I I love this. It has such a great sense of humor. This will sell it for you. One of the people characters in the game is a billionaire. The billionaire produces fuck all. It's worth zero gold every time it comes up. <laughs> now, mean. it will make wine and cheese near it more valuable. But for my money, the real benefit from a billionaire is when you get the guillotine item <laughs> that anytime a billionaire shows up in your, your reels, the symbol is removed and you get a bunch of money for it. <laughs> it's a delightful game that does sound lovely yeah and it's got mod support on steam so people are going to be adding all sorts of shit to it i'm sure this sounds like a game i could lose a dangerous amount of time to <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm scared yeah. of this it's very replayable but it's also very light and, and the stopping point is clear and you can just move on with your day it's good balance just came out a few days ago i really it's like five bucks on steam uh during its intro sale period absolutely worth that it's very cute it's got a great sense of humor you get help from a mutual aid group like all of these little elements are here and fun and uh and enjoyable oh my I, god i think i downloaded a demo for this last year and completely forgot about it that could be <laughs> looking it up mm -hmm. i think i've had this on my steam deck for like a year I, I understand uh, the... I, I'm definitely going to play this yes. uh, mode. Yeah. yeah. Gotta love ADHD. Mm -hmm. Well, what about you both? Do you play anything? Not really. No? Genuinely no. Not, not not really anything to report, unfortunately. Still been playing GTA Five, but that is about it for the moment. I did pop that in a little bit um, in the past week. Maybe by next week, I'll take the time to like do the math and figure out how long it's actually going to take me to buy that fucking golf course <laughs> so I can make a determination as to whether or not I'm going to bother. Because it is, it's possible to do it if you, like, save all of the assassination missions until you've effectively completed the story mode and then maximize the value from those you can get to the $150 million. But mm. I didn't. So now I'm figuring out how I get... Another $59 million to Trevor, who I think has the best earning potential with what, anyway. <laughs> A lot of my playing this week has been, like, trying to finish up games that I, I sort of have been, like, working on over the, over the months and just not, like, properly finished so I can put them in my backlog. Um, I've almost finished Lies of P, finally. I've checked, I'm in the final chapter, I am, I'm pretty sure within like 15-20 minutes of getting to the final boss of that game, uh, that's that Pinocchio Bloodborne one. Steph, did you, did you finish that? Uh, I got right to the end. 
I didn't get to like the rolling credits. I'm trying to get a vibe of whether I've gotten further or about where you're at. There was an interaction with Sophia, the woman you do level ups with, that uh, was a pretty big narrative choice with her. Right. I don't know if if that's sounding at all familiar. Uh huh. Pretty sure. Yeah. So that's that's about where I'm I'm at. Like I'm I'm right up toward the end of that game, and I I, I want to finish it. And I'm going to try and finish it this week. That game definitely has some difficulty spikes. It has some uneven difficulty pacing. And it has a bit of that Dark Souls thing where you can, without realising it, close off the ability to do certain quests uh, if if you don't know that there are certain cutoff points for certain quests, which I've definitely done a bit of. But on the whole, I'm still really enjoying Lies of P. Much more so than Dark Souls. I've been like occasionally hitting difficulty spikes and just putting the game away for a week or two and coming back to it another time rather than brute forcing it. This is the first time I've played one of those Souls-like games all the way through with like a dexterity build. I really went all in on dexterity on this. I've been wielding a trident thing that was a boss weapon that I spec'd a bit the, more The towards. trident I love. I loved the trident. Yeah, it's 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 nice for having like the, the sort of running sprint and you sort of jump into the R2 to get a bit of damage and then jump away. I like the uh, the use up all three bars of your special to do that sort of big leaping leaping in the air attack that does a big bunch of damage. I've been really relying on like the last couple of bosses. I've been very reliant on fighting them alongside the uh, the optional sum NPC summons, and like I feel no shame in that. I I there's a few of them toward the end. There was a big lightning lady with two phases that I was fighting where I was like. You are just everywhere all the time. Don't stop moving. I I just need some something else to draw your attention a couple of times for it, for for it. That that game's tone is like a little all over the place in the best kind of way. I enjoy its stupid back and forth between taking itself very seriously and then saying some silly nonsense that that will just catch me off guard. I'm ha- I'm having fun with it. I'm I'm four months in, finally nearly done with it, and. I maintain what I said when I was playing it before. I I think this is one of the better not Souls, not from Soft Souls games out there. It it is it is rock solid, even if it's occasionally occasionally. Uh, I've occasionally just put it down and go I'll come back to this later when I've got a bit more time to beat my head against a problem. What about you, comrade? You played anything else this week? Yeah, continuing on with the gambling theme, my wife Linda found a really interesting little game um, that's making the rounds on Itch called mm-hmm. Buckshot Roulette. Oh, I have, I am aware of this game. Yeah, this is neat. It, it, it's it got a lot of the presentation style of inscription. Yeah. With that, you know, long table, spooky guy on the other side of it. This takes the time-honored game of Russian roulette and replaces the traditional revolver with a pump action 12 gauge shotgun. So you will be presented with a selection of slugs, some of which will be blanks and some of which will be live rounds. They are randomly inserted into the shotgun and then you are given a choice between shooting yourself or shooting the dealer shoot the dealer, their health goes down. If you shoot yourself, your health goes down, unless you shoot yourself or them with the blank, in which case the turn 
changes. Now, if you shoot yourself with the blank, the dealer skips their turn and you get to go again. To give you an edge, there are a selection of items that become available. And you can have, uh, I think, eventually you get to have up to four of these. And they'll do things like you rack the gun and pop whatever is in the chamber out without firing. Mm. Or you can handcuff your opponent so that they skip their next turn. There's a magnifying glass that lets you see what's in the chamber. There's a knife that cuts off the end of the barrel to double the damage. Mm. Using these tools and your knowledge of what is in the gun, you have to try to survive this game of buckshot roulette. It is creepy. It is tension-filled and very very short like it's just the really just the one opponent and i would love to see Hmm. them develop this out more it feels like there is a ton of potential for additional content but at a buck 20 on itch um Hmm. i would check this out it is it if you liked inscription if you like that kind of one-to-one against a computer opponent creepy tension this delivers on that and it's just an interesting take on on Russian roulette. Really worth looking at. Buckshot roulette is. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I have this downloaded. It's been on my radar. The inscription vibe was the thing that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. That that is definitely the flavor of it. But I'm glad to hear it's interesting. If a uh, little little short. Yeah, it, it's real short. But uh, the vibe is there. Like they've they've really got everything that they need to make this really something more if they want to. Um, I think that the p- options are they're definitely there. It has a lot of potential. And if they don't, fine, this is still great. Like, this is really cool. But I'd love to see more. What about you? Ah, uh, I've just been, I've just, as I said, I've just been finishing stuff off to get stuff out of out of my queue so I can I can put it aside and you know have space in my brain to to pick up new games and put proper time into them. I'm continuing to chug away at my uh, shiny hunting quest of trying to get every one of the shiny species of pokemon that could possibly exist in all of the pokemon games that that all the way through the series. There are like two more shiny pokemon I I can get in scarlet and violet now that the DLC's out. I did the maths. I spent some time this week, like, properly organizing my collection and properly cataloging everything. By the time I get these last two shinies, I will be down to 75 species out of over a thousand left to find shiny, of which 20 or so literally cannot be found shiny at all in any of the games so far, which I think brings it down to about 55 species across all of the games that I do not have a shiny version of. I need to start digging back into some of the older games to do some of the shiny hunts for some of the ones that I've got left. It's mainly ones that haven't been available in in, in any of the Switch games. Um, I need to go dig into, I think it's mainly black and white on the DS that I need to go back and play and do shiny hunting in. And then I need to do those shiny hunts and move those Pokemon forward ASAP because... End of March this year, Nintendo was shutting down their online services for 3DS. Now, in theory, Pokemon Bank, the service that lets you move your 3DS Pokemon to the Switch, will continue to operate for some time after that. They have been very fucking vague, and 
whether that's a couple of weeks or a couple of months or indefinitely, it's very unclear. So I'm suddenly realising those 55 or so shiny hunts that I currently can only do on the 3DS, I'm gonna need to do those sooner than later before Nintendo just goes, nah, fuck you. You, c- you cannot move those Pokemon forward anymore. Mm. Which is not ideal. That said, my gut instinct is like, and I- I'm basing this just off of like the pattern of releases Nintendo has done with Pokemon over the last like 10 years. I reckon there's probably going to be remakes of some kind of black and white by the end of next year on the Switch. This seems like a safe bet, yeah. Yeah, my gut instinct says it's probably not going to be good, it's probably going to be by the team that did Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl that kind of farted them out a little bit, but I will probably have an opportunity on Switch to shiny hunt those Pokemon anyway, but I don't want to take that risk and end up in a position where I literally there are shiny Pokemon I literally just cannot shiny hunt. So... Yeah, that's where I'm at, was was finishing my, my collection as much as I currently can to look back and go, what games are the best ones for me to hunt the remainder of that collection back on the 3DS? And what's going to be the quickest, wh- which games have the quickest ways for me to shiny hunt those last 55 so that I can move as many forward as possible as quickly as possible, just in case Nintendo pulls the plug on Pokemon Bank. So yeah, that's... That's that's me having turned my my video game time into a job in the way that I do. <laughs> got an impending deadline. I don't know when the boss is gonna is gonna is gonna drop the deadline, so I gotta gotta get shiny hunting. Oh, that's 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 where I'm at. Uh, what about you, Conrad? You played any anything else? All right, I've played one more thing. I also reached back into the depths for something that I had meant to get around to at some point, and I saw that there had been an update to this game. And I thought to myself, all right, I guess now is time to take the plunge. I played Orc Massage. Oh, yeah! I I, uh, I I was just, like, too curious. I was just too curious about what they were doing. And this is, it's still in early access. There will be more development. And I, I kind of like Orc Massage in some strange <laughs> ways. The premise if you missed our earlier discussion of this when we discovered the existence of this game, you are an orc who has taken a job running a massage parlor where fantasy female characters come and get massages that um, eventually go intimate. In no small part due to the elfin adventurer type who seems to pressure the orc into it, who's terribly naive and kind of sweet. I kind of like the orc character. He's pushed into this situation entirely from start to finish. He doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) And that's kind of cute. The base game has three characters in it that are VIP clients, and that's the, the main meat of the game where you'll have VIP clients come in. They are fantasy creatures. If you're into furry stuff, there might be something here for you. In addition to the elf woman, there is a uh, bird person? A bird person. We're going to go with bird person. There's some sort of athlete, which is interesting, and that makes me want to know more about this modernized fantasy world that all of these characters inhabit, but they're on some kind of sports team, and so they need sports therapy. They're also very bored and always on their phone. 
And then the, there's a third who is, I think, a, a tigress. Uh, but I haven't interacted with her because the game made it immediately clear to me when they introduced the character that this is a cop. What am I supposed to do? <sighs> what am I supposed to do? And I know that, like, it's going to be fun because the orc's not going to know what's going on. And he's going to just, like, carry on doing his business like he has with the other two clients. And, oh, no, now he's going to have legal trouble. And I like there's a part of me that's very keen to see that and the cat girl. But there's another part of me that just doesn't want to support that, you know? And I think it would have been better if they hadn't told me that they were a cop going into this. Like, I understand what they're doing and how they're setting it up, but I would have felt better. They have to tell you. That's, yeah, that's the, true. The, the cops have to tell you. They do. Have <laughs> they have to tell you. <laughs> um, the DLC character's a mermaid. Uh, yeah. Oh. So I'd always sort of wondered... I have an answer. <laughs> I, I have an answer as to how how you mermaid. <laughs> um, but the game itself, <laughs> there is game here. I hope it will get more depth added to it. Because you, when you massage someone, when you start out, you only have access to the full body massage. Which takes a sort of puzzle game approach to what you're doing. You are presented with the character laying face down on the massage table, and they have little dots at points on their body that are different colors indicating how long it will take for them to be massaged before they are no longer tense. So you select one of those spots, and you have two choices on how to approach the massage. You can do a pound, or you can do sort of a, a delicate pinch. And the pound will affect the dots in the vicinity of the one you're working on. And the pinch only affects the dot you're working on. But you can overexert those spots and have to calm them down with a third maneuver if you apply too much pressure with the pound. It's just a very basic little puzzle, but there's more to it than your average sex game as a result. Like, you have a stamina limit as to how long you can go uh, before you've run out of energy to complete the massage successfully. And so there's a little bit of something there, completely undermined fairly immediately by your ability to purchase items that will increase your stamina. And they give you access to a bunch of different massage techniques that I'll get into in a second. But once the stamina thing gets built up even a little bit, these massages aren't challenging anymore, uh, which is fine also because I guess, you know, the point is to watch animal people fuck. So get to that, I guess. Makes sense. I'm not I'm not <laughs> mad at it, but I do kind of it's one of those things. Well, this you went to the effort to make a puzzle and now you're just like, yeah, fuck it. But it's still there if I want to play it, I guess. <laughs> the other massages that get introduced are um, more area-specific and all take the form of you click your cursor over a spot on the body and it creates a sort of halo area around your hand, which is rendered, your rendered severed hand moving over this body. And when you find the red point, you want to, you know, like, 
move the mouse a little bit over and it goes away. And you do this like two, three times. And there are like six or seven of these. They're all the same. And none of them are particularly interesting. There's no challenge to them whatsoever. The only thing that I think is kind of fun about them is that sometimes your severed orc hand will get itself attached to the character model that you're massaging and yank one of their limbs into some, like, physically impossible position. I like that. That's funny. I I know I'm going into a lot of depth on orc massage here. And it's just because it's the most complicated game I've played all week for some reason. But there is something to this. The art is not horrendous. It's what you expect of 3D modeled furry people fucking. Yeah. I will give them... There's a fascinating thing that they took the time to do. They added, like, some fluid dynamics in here. (laughs) Wonderful. When you actually get into the intercourse portion of events, each time you do it, you get you unlock an additional pose, and you can switch between those poses. And then there's a speed bar that allows you to determine, you know, the rate at which the animation plays. But it's you know dynamic in the moment, so it'll slow down as you're slowing down. It's kind of fun to like create a realistic rhythm out of this. Like how someone would actually fuck instead of in the very static, you know, perfect rhythm that it has at whatever point that it's at. I like that. That's a nice touch. You can pop your load at any time and then you can always go back for another one. And the reason I brought up the fluid dynamics is that the cum stays. If you're spraying externally, it stays in the room. While you progress on to the next round, and on and on it goes. Um, The mermaid requires water in the massage parlor for her massage. And so you fill the room up with water, and then after the massage is done, you know, everybody sort of walks out the door. But as she's walking out the door, the water is pouring out the door and going down. Like, they went to the effort to put fluid dynamics in here to the extent that the water depletes because the door is open as they're leaving. And if you sit there and wait long enough, the couch cushions get fully exposed. <laughs> and it's so silly. This is such... It sounds like such a labor of love. Truly. Truly, <laughs> truly. This is somebody who loves massage and fantasy creatures and... God bless them. Like, I truly, I, I hope they're having fun. I hope they're they're finding both personal and financial satisfaction because that also means that they're finding community. They're finding like-minded people who are into this. And I think it's wonderful. Um, oh. Not very recommendable as a game. But if you're curious about fantasy people fucking... That it's here and it's I have I have had my uh my horizons broadened. We'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah. Right. Uh, that's all the gamey stuff the we, we've got this week. Yeah. Should we talk about some news bits before we uh we wrap up? Uh I warn you in advance, everyone, it's another week where we have multiple stories about layoffs, because of course it of is. Of course. Uh, where do we start? Uh, 
Unity. Unity's doing a shit ton of layoffs. After they've already done a shit ton of layoffs. Right? Yeah, the last ones were, I think, about two months ago. They're now laying off a further 1,800 employees, which is about 25% of the remaining workforce. Bloody hell. So, that's not ideal. They did say a couple of months ago when they did the last layoffs that more were, uh, more, more layoffs were likely, in their words. Uh, but yeah, it's not just a few, it's another quarter of the fucking company. They've not said anything too specific other than give a fucking non-apology statement. The decision was not taken lightly and we extend our deepest gratitude to those affected for their dedication and contributions. <laughs> that's that's all you get for a quarter of the company doesn't have a job anymore. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Uh, you know what's worse than, than firing 25% of your workforce? I'm going to guess closing your studio entirely. I mean, that that is worse, but that's not the one I'm going to next. I was just going to go for a bigger number. <laughs> uh, so, someone's laid off 35% of their workforce. Uh, this time, it's Twitch. Uh, that is about 500 employees they've laid off. That is apparently about 35% of their workforce. Well, maybe they'll stop banning my friends for saying Free Palestine. Right, right, right. Twitch has declined to comment on this story. Uh, Bloomberg reached out to them about these reports, and Twitch was just like, just did not say anything in response. But Bloomberg claims that basically Twitch is not doing well financially and is jettisoning staff because it can't work out how to bring more money in. According to Bloomberg sources, Twitch remains unprofitable nine years after the the Amazon acquisition. They still do not make profit, and therefore... You 500 people don't get to have a job anymore. Lovely. It's not super surprising that they haven't managed to turn a profit on it yet. I mean, you look at how long it took Twitter to turn a profit, and you look where, and you see where that went. So, yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> it's not terribly surprising. This has always felt like a like a value add that Amazon was trying to yeah. you know, bring the youngs into their their uh, walled garden of shit. And I don't think they're going to get rid of it, but I, I do think that it's, I think we're going to see some paring down, they, like, they can do it to staff right now, but we're going to see probably some changes to the creator end, I would think, soon. Yeah, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if maximum bit rates for streams started to slowly decrease a little, and, you know, mm -hmm. payouts started to not be what they were, and ads got a little more aggressive. Oh, I expect ads will definitely be getting more aggressive. Well, Amazon just added ads to their Prime content, or they're about to yes. in the next like, week or two. Yes, they did. And we have another story about that kind of topic coming up shortly, don't you worry. Mm. Uh, but we've got yet more layoffs. Uh, these ones, fewer in number, but in terms of like percentage of company laid off, it's about the same. According to gamesindustry.biz, a third of, of the staff at Bossa Studios, the people behind Sur Surgeon Simulator, have been laid off. A third of the company is 19 people. Mm. Mostly because it's always these people uh, who lose their jobs first in QA roles as well as production and non-UK employees. There's a bit more information about this set of layoffs than the other ones and some at least some acknowledging of the events that led to them happening. Basically, Boss's version of events is costs got more expensive 
funding got delayed because of COVID and that had a knock-on effect on development and trying to release more big budget games rather than more smaller independent games kind of came together in a bit of a mush of oops we had a stable company and we changed some things at the wrong time and money didn't work out and uh yeah sorry oopsie we're reshaping the studio which is a nice way of saying we let a third of the company go yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like they're scaling back to a point that they were at prior to expanding into larger projects. And, I mean, it's it's good that they're still going to have a, a company and maybe they can, you know, retool and get back into smaller things and have that be yeah. successful for them. It doesn't, doesn't make it better that a third of the company got let go, but I will say... I'm going to read a quote from from the head of Bossa Studios that they gave uh, about around the layoffs. And I'm like, this is more than I've seen any other company say when they have to lay people off. And I'll give them credit for this. While we're doing our utmost to support the workers who were let go, we would appreciate any help our industry peers can give in spreading the word about these great people, or even better, hiring them as part of your team. You'll be hard-pressed to find a better game development professional than one of these Bossians, whom we'll vouch for without hesitation. Like, I know it doesn't practically mean anything, but, like, that's that's more than you usually get as an acknowledgement of these are talented people and, like, please fucking hire them. They're good, good people. Well, you never want to encourage your competition to be successful and take your talent. And and that's... Yeah, it's... And that's stupid. Yeah. Be- being open about, like, hey, we will, we, will, we will do what we can to vouch for these people and get them into new jobs that they're all great. Please yeah. hire them. That's, I respect that. I yep. respect that. Um... So yeah, there we are for the layoffs. But uh, Conrad, you were saying a minute ago that Amazon, you know, if you pay for their video streaming service, they're going to start putting ads mm-hmm, in now. Mm-hmm. You, you were saying about that. Well, that's not the only streaming service that has decided to put ads into paid content this week. You know, Netflix has games. I mean, I've, I, you, you aware of I'm vaguely aware that they they have those things and they call them games yeah i mean some of them are you know actual games uh you know that come with it but yeah if you got a netflix subscription you can download mobile games with it and these are meant to be like premium games but you get them with your subscription and netflix is apparently considering adding in-app purchases and in-app ads to games that it releases that are meant to be part of its subscription in a bid to better monetize its game service So this is according to the Wall Street uh, Journal. Executives have had discussions about how to make more money from their games business beyond the subscription people are paying to get access to those games, including microtransactions and ads, uh, and having certain games that that aren't, you know, free with your subscription, but are an additional purchase on top of your subscription to get those games. But you'll still have to be subscribed to keep the game, obviously. Hmm. We really are, we really are seeing so many of the streaming services now going, yeah, we know you have a subscription, but we still want ad money from you, though. We don't know how to price content anymore. Um, I think yeah. the internet has has made that a struggle. Like, I, I think by that I mean we as consumers don't value content in the same way that we used to. And because of that, the industry is floundering to try and make it profitable for them under the same premise that they always have to be making more money the current year than the prior year. 
Like, that's just how capitalism has to work for them. And so it's, yeah, this is going to continue to be a, a thing where they try and find more and more ways to nickel and dime because they never feel like they're getting enough money when if they were just reasonable about executive pay and mm. investor payouts and things like that, it's it's possible you could have a, a healthy, stable business if you were willing to evaluate it on that standpoint. But I, I just don't see yeah. it happening. Agreed. I've got a couple more stories of things being a little bit shit. I do have a nice story at the end, so don't worry. We've got at least something oh, that's amusing good. to talk about at the end. We've got a light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, before that, we have to talk about SAG-AFTRA again, who have pissed off a lot of video game voice actors this week. SAG-AFTRA were, were doing big strikes throughout 2023, trying, mm -hmm. to, get, trying to get a better deal, uh, largely from the movie studios in terms of like, hey... Better pay, better transparency, better, you know, residual structure for streaming. One of the things that was very important to a lot of members of SAG-AFTRA was keeping AI away from actors' jobs. And there was some concern with the deal that was signed that eventually ended the strike from some SAG-AFTRA members that it was not as hard against AI as they were hoping. Mm -hmm. And... This has been sort of backed up by a story that happened this week. SAG-AFTRA announced that they have made an agreement with an AI voice company in the video game industry that will, as they put it, you know, do they'll be the ethical company doing AI voice work in Fuck. video games. Fuck yeah. you, Fran. Fuck yeah. you. SAG-AFTRA described it as a and ethical agreement uh, that was approved by affected members of the union's voiceover performer community. Now, the problem with that is that basically every single video game voice actor in the video game industry is currently on social media going, I was not fucking consulted about this. Who, who, who approved this? Who were the affected members of the union's voiceover performer community that you reached out to? Because it's no one that any of us can find. Wow. It really, really fucking seems like instead of, like, putting this to a vote to SAG-AFTRA's members, they just sort of pushed it through without consulting anyone. I mean, I've got to be thankful on one level, because I did, I, I was talking about AI on Jimquisition, and I get a lot of pushback, because there's obviously a lot of evangelists, and this has been presented with a friendlier face than NFTs did. So mm -hmm. the pushback is even more earnest. But what I love about shit like this, and I made this point in the video, is none of the bad outcomes of AI, none of the worrying abuses, have to be speculative. Because they're just doing it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, none of this is like a slippery slope argument. Like, it was pre-soaped. We are on a slope made out of fucking soap. Like, that's how slippery it is. They have not tried to hide it. They have not tried to make it better. You know, there's a reason we just, like, saw strikes about it. They can tell us till they're blue in the face that, oh, it's going to have this benefit and that benefit. But they couldn't even wait. They couldn't even wait to Trojan horse it through before abusing it. They started as abuse. It's so easy to argue against. My favourite example this week of, like, the the, com the veil being completely lifted is ChatGPT tried to make the argument to the UK government that they should be exempt from copyright laws because, as they themselves say, 
large language model AI literally cannot be developed without using copyrighted materials. Well, you know what? Neither can my <laughs> version of Marvel's The Avengers that I am making. <laughs> That also right. cannot be made without copyright infringement, and therefore I should be exempt from it as well. Yeah, I saw someone make the comparison that stuck in my head that was, um, I cannot become a billionaire without robbing a bank, so I should be exempt from robbery laws, because they're getting in the way of me doing this. And I, got, I gotta be honest, I mean, I'm not... <laughs> I'm, I'm not that opposed to, like, completely wiping <laughs> copyright law. Like, I... I mean... I'm not yeah, but... totally offended by that idea. Um, but not for them. Not for them. Yes, interesting that someone in their position would propose such a thing. Well, here's the thing. It's... They have been so adamant that they're not using copyrighted works to train their, their, you know, their AI models, and then they're like, we literally cannot make these models without yeah. copyrighted works, please make us an exception. Yeah. Don't look at the fact that Midjourney has a list of 16,000 artists that it is explicitly trained on their copyrighted works and trained them how to replicate those artists' works. Don't worry about that. We're not doing it. But make an exception so we can do it. Yeah, watching the people, like, out Midjourney has been truly entertaining. Like, seeing all of these accounts that are just showing all of the things that are just undeniable infringement. Um, truly, truly amazing. Mm. Back to this SAG-AFTRA story. They say a lot of fluff words about, like, oh, it'll ensure performer consent and negotiation for uses of their digital voice double and give them the opportunity to opt out of the use of their voice in new works. But as voice actors are pointing out, this is going to basically destroy anyone's ability to enter the voice acting industry. Because if you are new, they, mm -hmm. the studios will just tell you, you're allowed to opt out, but if you do, we will not work with you. That is a choice you can make, and we don't want to work with you. If you're, if you're going to opt out, and new voices who are not already established will just not get to get enter the industry unless they agree to this shit. And very quickly, we'll reach a point where they won't be considered necessary anyway. Exactly. Like, there won't be vocal performances that they will feel the need to. So it, it will, yes, it will kill any potential voice actor from getting a foothold into the industry. And it, and it will create a talent drain. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I'm sure they're still going to let some celebrities through because they're going to have to. And those people will get some work. But that's going to be it. There will be 15 people who have the power to refuse to do these things that are going to be in everything. The, the thing is, is that you will have at some point, like, let's say 10 to 15 well-known prolific voice actors who are like, I'm ready to stop doing this as a career. I'm not going to do any more work of this. I'll sell my rights to be used as AI. And you get 10, 50, yeah, you get 10 or 15 of these done. And then it's like, why would we hire someone new to do a voice role when we've got that person on file who's the archetype we want? And that'll just be how it goes. Seemingly not a single video game voice actor either was consulted by SAG-AFTRA or knows anyone that was consulted by SAG-AFTRA. And they are like really fucking pissed off that not only were they opted into an agreement with an AI company, but that... There was zero consultation with any of the SAG-AFTRA members about whether they wanted this. Oh. Specifically, video game voice actors are feeling really fucking thrown under the bus by the TV and film actors in SAG-AFTRA. Again? Yeah. A lot of them are going, we were out on the picket line with you when you were, you know, striking for better stuff with, yep. the, with the movie studios. Why are all of you silent right now as they've just pushed this on us without consulting any of us? 
So, not a good time for SAG after right now, unfortunately. No, that's that sucks. Sorry, that just bums me the fuck out. Yeah, we got one other story that there's maybe more to it. We'll dig into it in a second, but the headline on its surface reads kind of fucking hilarious. Activision Blizzard has been accused of discriminating against old white guys. <laughs> I didn't. I did not have on my bingo card that there'd be an early face turn for Activision if it started <laughs> yeah. discriminating against old white guys. And look. Here's the thing. I initially read this headline and I was like, look, it's amusing me, but like, you know, ageism's a real thing and maybe we are talking about actual cases of discrimination. And then I'm going to read you a little quote here. Activision placed profits over people by terminating the older, higher paid executives. (laughs) So we're not talking about discrimination against old white guys. We're talking about discrimination against old white guys who got into high-paid executive positions. They're the real discriminated against employees here, the old white men who got paid high-level executive salaries. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. So to dig a little below the surface level of this, um, uh, gamesindustry.biz spotted that a uh, lawsuit had been filed, basically making allegations against Bobby Kotick, for remarks he made at some vaguely nebulous leadership conference where he apparently said the problem at Activision Blizzard King was there were too many old white guys. Now, I don't believe that, not because, you know, that doesn't sound like a thing Kotick would say. He loves old white guys. Yeah, it's true. It is a fact. So... Yeah, that's fine. I'm fine with that statement. It depends where it was said. Mm. It's something he mm. it's something he would easily say and not make. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So depending on like who he's trying to curry favor with at the time. Yeah. To give a bit of background, this this lawsuit was being filed by a 57 year old white man who worked <laughs> at Activision Blizzard from 2014 until 2023. Uh, so nine years in a high paid executive position. Shortly after hearing those comments. A pair of white executives left, based at least in part on Kotick's ageist remarks, adding that Activision placed profits over people by terminating the older, higher paid executives. Now, to be clear, two executives were not fired. They allegedly left because they didn't like Kotick saying there were too many old white people there. So they quit. Mm -hmm. Um... I remind you, high-paid executive who was doing the lawsuit maintains that he was passed over for promotion after those executives quit, and and younger non-white people got promoted. And a younger non-white person became his manager, and that Im- that impacted his ability to get more merit-based salary increases. He didn't get he didn't get promoted. Someone who's younger and not white did. I deserve the promotion. I'm an old white man. It's interesting because this is a thing that does happen sometimes. It doesn't often happen in very high executive positions, but your middle level executives, this is something that they will often do. It happened to my mother. Mm. My mother worked for a defense contractor um, for 30 years. She had an executive position and then they put in a position above her and hired a younger executives into that position. And then when they realized that there was some redundancy because this new person that they put in and my mother could have done 
like three times the work, they decided that they were going to cut one of the positions and then faced with the choice of cutting the newer, lower salaried person and the older, higher salaried person who's going to get a good pension. They fired my mother. Yeah. You know, and that does happen. Yeah. You know? And like, I look, age-based discrimination in the workplace does happen, but... I think it's important to remember the context that a few years ago we were having conversations about the fact that Activision Blizzard, as a company, had a huge issue with diversity mm-hmm. and a huge issue with not having a diversity within executive or management positions. Exactly. And specifically, a, like a history of decades of putting old white people into executive positions and not giving people from any other background a chance at those positions. Yep. And with that context, I cannot prove this, but my gut instinct is to go, maybe, sir, maybe some old white people were put into executive positions above qualified younger non-white people at times. And if you're going to ever address that balance, you're going to have to promote some non-white people who are younger than you, probably. Yeah. If you're going to change that diversity issue. He he claims he was one of seven men aged 47 or older who were made redundant. And therefore, Activision Blizzard's discriminating against uh, old white men. It's an old white man problem. I I was only a high-paid executive for nine years. So, look, maybe we'll hear there's more, and maybe there'll be more to it, but I am hesitant to think that Activision Blizzard has a systemic issue against old white men. That does not ring true with anything I've ever heard about lack of diversity at that company. They seem to really love old white men. But if they do implement a system specifically targeting old white men, I'm on board. Like, I support it. I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but... Uh yeah. We got we got a lighthearted story, thankfully, to, to, to end up on. People are getting banned on their Xboxes for a very silly reason. They played a video game? Yeah, so you know Baldur's Gate 3? That D-esque video game everyone's very into. Oh, yeah. It finally came that finally came to Xbox, and you might have heard there's some sex sex scenes in it. Sometimes I have heard that the people are sexy. Yeah, sometimes sex happens. And I'm not going to name any names, but some people will see a sex scene in a video game and go, I'd like to watch that again. I'm going to hit my little share button and record a clip of that sex I saw. Sometimes people might do that, not pointing fingers at anyone particular. But people who recorded videos of Baldur's Gate 3 sex scenes were finding themselves getting banned on their Xbox accounts. Was it automatically sharing them to the cloud and thereby making them available? Or are these just on the consoles? So here's what happened. On Xbox, most people don't know, but when you record gameplay clips on your Xbox, the default setting is to automatically upload a copy to the cloud. And all of those clips, every single one, is reviewed by a human person. Let me get this straight. Microsoft has made pornographers of all of its users. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, so people worked out this was what was going on, was everyone's, you know, you you record a gameplay clip of Baldur's Gate 3, someone fucking a a bear, and then, oops, my my Xbox got cancelled. People reached out to Xbox support to go, like, is this supposed to be happening? Can we do something about it? And, like... No. (laughs) Xbox did respond. Xbox responded. To provide clarity on Baldur's Gate 3 mature content enforcement actions, 
Xbox account suspensions are not automatic. Each clip is reviewed by a moderator, and if found in violation of our safety and content policies, actioned accordingly. Our team evaluates appeals and can reverse suspensions if action was taken in error. If this was a first offence, for example, we will remove the suspension and let players know why it happened and how to avoid future issues, suggesting turning off auto-upload when sensitive content is being captured. So their advice is, now nah, we're going to keep banning you for get if, if you take a clip of Baldur's Gate 3 sex, but like we'll, we'll let you off the naughty set once if you promise not to auto-upload your sex again. Wow. We don't want to see you fuck the bear man yet again. Amazing. Y- yeah. Be be careful about being horny. Xbox is watching the fact that you're getting horny and going, mm, too horny, Xbox ban. Wow. Um, I, I don't even know. I... <laughs> I really never thought we'd live in a world where Twitch was more willing to let me show a sexy video game than the the backup for my own recordings of gameplay clips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... Mm. So be careful. Make sure that no one at Xbox is having to watch your sex clips. Keep them local on your own console. They're just for you. I mean, that's usually my goal with any sex content that I produce. Although I really should start an OnlyFans. Not everyone knows they're sharing their sex content, though. It's important to know you're sharing your sex content. If you are recording sex content, I think you have a responsibility to know everything that's happening around that sex <laughs> content. Like, not to say that this setting shouldn't have been established, but I'm sorry, we've all seen accidental masturbators on Twitch. <laughs> Look, you gotta know, you gotta know where your equipment's at. You just do. <laughs> But yeah, there we go. That's all the stuff. Good for us. Good for us, indeed. Good for us. Bully, mm, indeed, bully. for us. I'd go as far as to... I'd go as far as to afford us a little bit of bully. Ooh, like, just, just a little for one? us. Just for us. That we Ooh. can have. And we can spend that how we want. It's our bully. Uh, <coughs> bully was a great game. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else is great? Uh, what? What is it? Your stuff. Lord. My stuff? Your stuff. Bully for you. Oh. You're bully. Oh. Do you want to know about my stuff, I'm assuming? I... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I should have, yeah, I should have uh, clarified. <laughs> as well as acknowledging the existence of your bully, I would love you to well, share your bully with the rest well, you, of you can find Well, you can find my stuff at Laura K. Buzz in all the places. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, uh, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Um... Stuff you can find this week, uh, Friday, there's going to be a half hour or so video going up on youtube.com slash Laura K Buzz, where I talk with another uh, accessibility and video games creator, Arevia, about PTSD and video game accessibility and how those two can intersect. It's a really interesting half hour chat. Go check that out on Friday when it goes up. There's probably other stuff, but that's that's the big one coming up this week. Look forward to that. What about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Blue Sky. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make, including my new Steamboat Willie sticker and Jimquisition merchandise like the Pound in It shirt over at MercenaryCreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at Patreon.com slash Fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? A Stephanie Sterling. 
That is true. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition, uh, which pays for this podcast and the Jimquisition and reviews on Jimquisition.com. Uh, my next live wrestling date is this Saturday, January 13th. Uh, that's in Leeds for True Grit Wrestle. If you look up at True Grit Wrestle on social media, you can get all details for that. Um, hope to see you there if you can. Uh, True Grit Wrestling is... That's where I've done most of my best work. Um, so I'm always excited to have people come to the Leeds shows. So January 13th, uh, I will be in Leeds. And aside from that, I'll definitely be here next week, as will Conrad and Nora. Thank you so much for listening to us, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.